Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. In 2013, the Pew Institute of Public Research published a report identifying some of the strengths and weaknesses of the North American Jewish community. One of the weaknesses that was identified, which we would all agree is not unique to the Jewish community, is the um, difficulty in engaging the millennial generation in institutional religion. The Pew Report noted that while um, individuals in their 60s and 70s easily had a lifelong affinity for engagement within the Jewish community, um, individuals beginning in the age group of 40 and lower were more diffuse in their engagement. And certainly with those 25 and younger, there was a question of whether they would, um, in large numbers, affiliate uh, with institutions or even identify themselves as Jews. This morning, I've invited uh, Sue Peteshin, the Director of Religious Education at Temple Israel in Ottawa, to chat with me about the engagement of millennials and Jewish education in general. So, Sue, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Good morning, Rabbi. Um, Sue uh, grew up in Ottawa, so um, I think we should begin by asking her to describe her growing up in, uh, I believe, Temple Israel. That would be correct, as... uh uh, a wee baby when my parents founded Temple Israel with four other couples. Um, I definitely grew up in uh, very much involved in Temple Israel and uh, in the school. Uh, was in the first grade or first class to go from, uh, I believe, grade one through uh, the graduation in grade ten, and uh, definitely was very much a part of my upbringing. Uh, I was a public school goer uh, and attended the the supplementary school, the Temple Israel Religious School, uh, along with my peers, and uh, it was integral to my upbringing. It really was. It was as a public school goer. It was very always very encouraging when my teachers wanted to know about Jewish holidays that I'd had to take off from school and things like that. Uh, we very much had a Jewish home, uh, despite being a liberal Jews. And we, so we celebrated all of the holidays. So we attended synagogue regularly. Uh, I participated in the youth group when I became of age and uh, celebrated all of my uh my life cycle events at Temple Israel. So your folks were um, instrumental in founding Ottawa's first liberal congregation, and through their involvement, they involved you. Was there a point in your early youth where uh, 
you didn't think um, that involvement and in what today the buzzword of engagement was going to be um, your life path? For me, no. Uh, I always was engaged. Uh, being one of six children, there were very few opportunities to spend time with my dad, who worked you know 18-hour days in his own business. And so attending services Friday nights with my dad was the one place I could go alone. And so I was always engaged in synagogue life and, and uh, so on. We... Did all of your siblings grow up the same way? No, not at all. Uh, Actually, we were the full gamut, I would say. Uh, But basically, and even through today, I'm what we would call the most religious of all of us. Okay. So, though your parents were engaged of six siblings... Um, you're the most engaged, and perhaps it would be fair to say some of your siblings are not engaged at all in the Jewish community, yes? Yes. Okay. And for our listeners who um, may not be aware of what a synagogue um, education for children would look like, could you give us a bit more description of how often you attended um a Jewish school at the synagogue and um, what youth grouping might have uh, looked like and we'll create a picture for them of what was an optimum Jewish experience for a child. Sure. Uh, in my day, uh, we would have Sunday school, so from 9.30 to 12.30 every Sunday morning. Uh, we had... So unlike the church service where Sunday school would take place within the hour of worship... This was over and above. Right. was over and above and was not necessarily connected to the Sabbath worship service because it was held on Sunday. Right. Um, It's what we would call today supplementary school. Good. So so we actually had uh, through grade 10 on Sunday mornings. Uh, All of us would attend on those days. And when we got too big, we we actually used a a separate building for some of the grades. Uh, We had also Wednesday where we would have strictly Hebrew education, uh, the study of the Hebrew language on on that day from, uh, and again, in my day, it was from grades three to grade eight on Wednesday in addition to Sunday. So you had... What is that? Five and a half or six hours? Five, yeah, five hours, I guess. Five hours a week of um, um, being in an educational environment with um, some of it devoted to um, Hebrew for the purposes of prayer and perhaps for some modern understanding. to help connect you to the state of Israel or making it appear that Hebrew was a more uh, vibrant language than just the language of the ancient text, yes? Yeah. Okay. So, it seemed to work for you. It did. And um, you have two children. I do. And it seemed to work for them. It absolutely has been continued on, yes. Good. Um, So... Is that the magic secret to make sure that um, the parent is involved and that will guarantee that the next generation will in some manner or form be um, participatory and um, uh, engaged? I think that you can uh, 
support me in saying that's not necessarily true. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, the engagement of the parents is important, but the child has to be engaged as well. So uh, in going back to an uh, earlier part of your question or uh, the previous question, youth grouping for me also was almost a, a, a given. My brothers, all three of my brothers went to bar mitzvah and that was it. Uh, maybe one of them participated in the youth group of the day. Um, but at Temple Israel, my sisters and I all participated in the senior youth group through high school. And uh, again, I was still probably the most active, but we all participated. And it was kind of a natural because on Sundays we'd have class in the morning and then we'd do a youth group event in the afternoon. So it it did help to flow that way. It doesn't uh, happen that way anymore because our high school classes actually uh, from grade seven and up meet now on Monday evenings. So it doesn't have that same flow. In terms of the parent participation and how it engages the children. We can see in all denominations of Judaism that it it's not necessarily true today. It's just not the, It's it doesn't seem to be the same level of importance for the younger generations. I'm very lucky, I'm blessed that my kids have continued so far. They're 16 and 20, so it's so far. Uh, they have continued to um, not just be Jewish, but do Jewish things outside of the home. So my daughter is away at Queens, and she attends the the Jewish Students' Union dinners and, and activities, and as well as some of the other um, uh, Jewish opportunities that exist in Kingston. Uh, so that's what we mean by engagement, absolutely. I think. That she feels a sense of um, commitment to her Jewish identity, and wherever she is, you have, at least um, up until this point in her life, kind of some surety that she'll seek out a way to express it in some formal manner. Good? Right. Yes. Okay. So the problem then, as you well know, since you're directly involved in religious education for children and to some degree um, young adolescents or certainly high school kids, is um, we don't have that same overwhelming um, impetus on the part of parents to uh, make Jewish affiliation and Jewish engagement a priority, Um, and yet they still have a tangential connection Mm -hmm. to uh, synagogue, and whether that's your synagogue or other synagogues, I think it's probably true that there are some people who have um, a deeper and a richer uh, connection and some people who are um, playing on the periphery mm-hmm. of um, engagement and um, involvement. So this is a two-part question for you. Do you have any sense of why there's been this um, elasticity um, of commitment in the Jewish community over the last uh, 50 years? Um, the um, rubber band seems to have been stretched quite thin at this point. And the second question, which is, of course, a more complicated one, um, is 
what, in your experience, have been some of the successes that your synagogue has um, achieved in trying to um, unstretch the rubber band, bring it closer to its uh, normal situation? Yes, so that's a two-parter, and you can pick either way you want to begin it. It's very loaded, too. (laughs) Um, The... It, it has become incumbent on Jewish supplementary schools and day schools and synagogues, just like any other faith-based organization, um, such as the Pew Report suggested, that if we don't think outside the box, we are just not going to have the numbers. And so it has forced boards of directors and uh, synagogue professionals, as well as educators, to really not just use textbook flat material, but to have engaging, participatory, um, experiential education within the, within the schools, for example, and I can speak more directly about the school uh, because of my position. Uh, we, it is so important that we, we make the we make Jewish education available for families who are <clears throat> they're not just stretched thin religiously they're also stretched thin because this generation seems to want their children to be almost over um, activityed I guess so you're competing at all times with uh, competitive sports hockey and soccer and whatever the season is and and so on and we're just happy to have whatever we can get at this point but do you have a sense um and i know this is a broader question but as one who works within a synagogue setting um do you have a personal sense of why new generations don't feel a pull towards um, the faith of their ancestors. Now, I understand that we could say they're overprogrammed yeah. and they're working hard, but I don't know that your parents and your dad, especially, um, um, worked any less. And he may have, in fact, worked more than most people today. Right? right? He was a, um, had a private business. He was an entrepreneur. Um, he worked 16, 18 hours a day, and he still found time for volunteerism and for being part of a synagogue. Good. But he chose his volunteerism not solely, but um, in those early years through the synagogue because he felt a connection there. Absolutely. Both my parents, actually. My mother considered herself a professional volunteer, if that's a... Uh, if you're allowed to say that, that's sure. what she called herself. Uh, because, uh, and both of my parents volunteered a lot, and it, they they instilled in all of us that how important it is to volunteer. I have a brother who is uh, in his early 60s now, and and who really only after he retired did he really discover volunteering, and it's so important nowadays. Kids. Are, um, the volunteer time is imposed upon them in high schools right. where you have to get a certain number of hours. of hours in order to graduate. Whereas with us, it was was really 
I personally have been volunteering since I was oh, probably about uh, 12 or 13 in different organizations, including the Queens of Carlton Hospital, for example. So it's interesting what you say, and maybe our listeners can um, resonate with it. Um, being part of a religious institution has two components, whether it's Jewish or Christian, and I would think other, certainly Islamic, Muslim uh, communities as well, certainly the monotheistic. There's one component that's um, a faith heritage-based component, Mm -hmm. that you uh, affirm that faith and you affirm that um, belief structure through the institution. Um, But then you've suggested another dynamic, and that is, what about those people who um, see the institution as a means of um, affirming their volunteer uh, commitment and their notion of faith may be less intense than somebody else, Mm -hmm. um, but they still see the religious institution as the place to focus their gifts to community. Yes? Sure. So what do we take from that today when um, young people, whether it's the Pew Report or other reports, seem to have less need for um, institutional connections? Are they saying I can, that I have less need of a religious institution or I just have less need of an institution in general? I mean, do you have a sense of that from your work? I think it's more in general. I think people do not feel the same commitment to belong, um, the same commitment to community. Uh, it's a different world today. The, the definitions of, again, community is, is different from ours. Theirs is more how busy can we be and how, uh, what's in it for me. Is really a, a, it's really a problem, uh, to be honest, uh, which is why I try to provide opportunities where uh, teens who are in our school, um, even if they're in grade, I, I have a couple of kids who are actually uh, in grade seven, who are volunteering in our, uh, with our younger grades in the school, because other, so that they have this, this sense of belonging, sense of commitment to something other than just something their parents want them to do. This is something they are uh, actively asking me to be a part of. So, so I want to follow that up for a minute because um, it strikes me that you're saying that you're hoping to create community for people through the programming that you initiate, whether it's inviting older people and older kids to work with younger kids and maybe middle-aged kids to work with older adults, whatever mm-hmm. you're doing. And I know that at the synagogue, there's an attempt to have people um, eat meals together in the hopes that they will um, meet and create communities. Um, it's true that we live in a technologically focused world. Um, there are synagogues and churches that um, stream their services yeah. online, um, which gives an opportunity for those who are 
homebound um, to feel a sense of participation, but it also gives those who don't want to be part of the community a way to have distance between themselves and the community. And I know that your synagogue has recently, over the last uh, few years, become very involved with trying to become um, part of the electronic world with a Facebook page and with um, tweeting. Social media. Social media, thank you. So I'm wondering if there is, and here's a question out of that, Sue, I'm wondering if it's counterproductive. If the more you use social media, the greater the possibility is for people to no longer need what the original intent of the religious institution was to create um, community. Yes? I mean, if your dad picked up the phone and called somebody, um, or your mom did that, or other people did that, or they personally invited, it would seem to me that... um, that's a very different form of community building than sending out an electronic note that says, check our Facebook page. Right. So is there a tension between that um, definition of what community um, should look like today? That's a very good point because, uh, as you say, there's no actual personal connection when you're sending out emails or etc. I, I would say, thankfully, the while the social media that we use in our synagogue does sort of put out bulletins about uh, what's coming up so that people have that uh, reminder, uh, we don't have streamed services as some other congregations do. And uh, I, I think that you, you've really stumbled on something where it's... If you don't ever have to leave your home, then you never connect with other people. And it doesn't matter what faith you are or where, what level of religiosity you, you practice in any faith. Uh, it is, I, I really believe that the personal contact is so important. So we, yes, we do put out more electronic information, but... I, I'm seeing more people say, pick up the phone. What's wrong with calling somebody? Um, and no, don't. I, I personally don't want to get rid of my home phone number because that's how people get a hold of me. And particularly the older uh, people in my life, uh, super seniors, as they call, as we call them, because they're not uh, people who just uh, sit around the house. We're, we're all pretty active, even uh, into our 80s and 90s in my family, uh, for sure. Um, so, the, and that's, it's so important to actually go and visit people and go and, uh, you know, invite someone to come along. It is that personal attachment that brings people to to find community and to find interaction where it, it's, we're almost in a stage of deinstitutionalization where the younger said the millennials uh, feel that no compunction to 
as I mentioned earlier, to belong or to keep a roof over your head in terms of, uh, it's a little bit different in terms of synagogues and churches where the there is no uh, public funding or, or federal funding, etc., to keep a roof over uh, a synagogue's head uh, and pay for the mortgage, etc. Uh, it's a little bit different. And so our members have to pay dues, uh, pay a membership, and uh, even double-income younger families don't see a benefit in that. Even if they're, well, they're, the one benefit is a tax receipt, but uh, in other sense... But you have to have the cash to get the tax you receipt. You have to have the cash to, have the, to get the cash to get uh, the tax you receipt. You know, yeah. in, um, in many Christian denominations, the minister, pastor, priest, however yeah. they're called, um, sees... Um, their primary role to minister to the congregation. Sure. And that um, they often visit people on a regular basis. I mean, depending on the size of your congregation, but um, community. But certainly um, many of them would say that it's their responsibility to visit once a year, everybody. It hasn't been the norm in synagogue life, um, though some more evangelical rabbis invite people to their homes for dinner um, in liberal communities they don't tend to have um, a partner who spends their entire life um, preparing for those large meals on the Friday evening or whatever occasion it happens to be so I'm wondering if you you've talked about the need to build deepen relationships so I'm wondering if you think um, synagogues should offer kind of a different model of clergy leadership. Um, should clergy leadership in this new world be more um, outgoing sounds as if they're not personable, and that's not what I'm suggesting, but should they be more um, committed to an outreach rather than trying to bring people into the synagogue? They would do it in their own way and not necessarily the follow the model of the church. But I'm just wondering if that modeling. So I, I would say that in some denominations that exists uh, in some way. I, I worked for an Orthodox rabbi for several years who actually uh, certainly when i first started working there he made he did make a point of making at least one phone call to every member uh in the congregation each year um that type of thing but the the more personal connection the visiting and actual ministering it's um i, I think that that is a i think it's really important i think that it is a good way to connect with people and to bring them in does it work for other faiths? That's a really good question. Uh, do I, I know one woman um, who actually uh, once said, if the rabbi calls, it means that somebody's dead. Right. So uh, some people are superstitious about uh, having a rabbi So you have to change the, <laughs> the norm and the expectation. Um, you know, we've been chatting today um, with the acknowledgement that all denominations, religious denominations, are struggling sure. to figure out how to engage um, younger population um, cohorts in the institutional um, world of religion. 
um, and some institutions are trying to deinstitutionalize themselves in order to um, claim that they are institutions without walls. Mm-hmm. In the little bit of time that we're, we have left, I'm going to ask you a question that could probably take an entire show, but that is, do you think synagogues spend too much time focusing on um, the institutional nature of their religion and less and, and might be more um, successful if they deinstitutionalized? Great question. <laughs> um, and we have 60 seconds for you to answer. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I think that we definitely do have to look outside our walls. I think that perhaps a combination of the models would be the best or in the best interest of uh, synagogues today. It is very important to also focus on retention, not just outreach and trying to, you know, gain more members, etc., from the the community at large. But we also need to focus on retention as well, and to pr- provide uh, for the needs of the families that we serve now, not just the ones that we could have in the future. Well, Sue, I want to thank you for um, taking the time to chat this morning. Um, my guest this morning has been Sue Petession, Director of Religious Education at Temple Israel, Ottawa's only Reform congregation, congregation affiliated with the Reform Movement, the largest Jewish movement in North America. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, this is Rabbi Stephen Garten saying, have a good day. Shalom. Shalom.